Looking that up, Chris Webb, and watching the whole thing on your own time and follow that, you can't possibly in one hearing glean so many insights that he packs into that. Friends, we live in a world where the mind is under attack. Drugs, alcohol, ideologies, politics, all around us. We know we can huddle together as believers and say, yes, the world out there is a mess. All the more reason why we in here must have the mind of Christ. If we're to be salt, if we're to be a preservative in a world that is waxing worse and worse to the day of the return of Christ, we must keep and guard our minds. We must align with the mind of Christ. The human mind is typically defined as the organized totality or system of all mental processes or psychic activity. That's not paranormal stuff. Activity of the psyche, the soul, of an individual. Philosophers have been baffled by the brain for centuries. They've been trying to figure it out. Some equate the brain with the mind, that they're one and the same thing. Others hold that the brain is merely the detector of the mind. And the mind is a separate inner entity. I do not know the answer. Plato believed the mind acquired knowledge through virtue, independent of all sensory experience. Descartes and Leibniz believed the mind gained knowledge through thinking and reasoning, and thus was rationalism born. But empiricists like Aristotle, Locke, Hume, they said the mind gained knowledge through experience, and were a contrast to the rationalist. Kant attempted in his philosophy to marry the two of those and say that it was both. And yet all the philosophers, all the neuroscientists in the world still to this day cannot even begin to comprehend the complexities of the mind. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. If you're going to look for some wisdom, go to Buddha. Buddha described the mind as being filled with drunken monkeys who jumped and screeched and chattered endlessly. Fear, he taught, was an especially loud monkey. And so to deal with the drunken monkeys, meditation is the key. If you walk by my office that now has a window so you could look in and you see me if and wonder, am I praying? I might just be meditating to deal with the drunken monkeys in my mind. The ideas that have come up about the human mind, we take our minds, our thought life for granted. I'm absolutely convinced of it. When I had that accident last month and a car hit me out of nowhere, I didn't see it flying through that stop sign into the front of my car, just a foot or two in front of where I was sitting on the driver's side. It instantly impacted and the airbags went off and my car was moving independent of anything that I was doing. 
and I couldn't see anything. The mind activated in a way that I'm not used to. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, and I don't have one of those super fast minds. I always tend to think through things and try to figure it out and write it a hundred times. But in that moment, my mind was fast at work. I realized it must have been those headlights coming from the apartment complex, and there's a car over there at that stop sign because I saw it. If I go over that hill, I know that goes down to the bowling alley, and I know there are two cars coming, and I can't see, and I can't get out. And what's that gunpowdery smell? Oh, that's the airbags and all of that. Boom, 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 boom. And it gave me a reminder of just how fearfully and wonderfully made we are. We've all had certain kind of experience where the adrenaline has pumped, where the mind starts to operate in such a way that we're reminded of just how fearfully and wonderfully we're made. <clears throat> If you are or have experienced the tragedy of losing a loved one mentally first before losing them physically, you would understand that. I love my grandpa, Nonno Giuseppe Civale. He was the one, the summer between fifth and sixth grade, I lived with him. And grandpa, all four feet, 11 inches, didn't speak English at all and... I was just wanting to learn Italian to try to talk with him. We watched the Three Stooges every day together. That transcends language. We would both sit there and laugh at that. He took me down to the basement one day, and my brothers could whistle, but I couldn't. So he just spent all this time teaching me to whistle. I mean, we just had this sweet, sweet relationship. I became the closest grandchild to my grandfather. My love of language was born in that summer as I would teach him English words and he would start teaching me my first Italian words. Shortly after, his decline would begin. He would go down to a slow shuffle. He, it would begin with forgetting and repeating himself and it would progress to the point that when we would go to see him, he wouldn't recognize any of us. He would think my father was one of his friends and they were about to go out back in San Valentino Torio to pick tangerines or whatever it was they did back in the day. And so anyone who walks through that can certainly relate to what I'm talking, where you lose the person before you lose the person. But I bring this up to say this. Do not take your mind for granted. I will never allow alcohol to pass through these lips if for no other reason because of the mind. I don't care if they legalize everything. I don't care that marijuana is legal. I won't take it because of the mind. I would implore you not to take your thought, your thought life, your mind. Don't take it for granted. Nebuchadnezzar took it for granted and he boasted in Babylon on the royal rooftop of what he built for his glory. And in the next moment, he was eating grass as the oxen in the wild and he lost all of his mental faculties. Let's not take it one moment for granted. The victory is won in the mind. Your mind is amazing. 
I think I have a couple more minutes to do this before we get into the text. I've read all these different things and the numbers vary so much from 100 billion operations per second. Encyclopedia Britannica, speaking of the conscious mind and the subconscious and the unconscious, and I read a term I wasn't familiar with, pre-conscious mind. I mean, it keeps your blood flowing through your body with the perfect pressure to survive. If it goes too low, you're done. If it goes too high, you're done. Aneurysms and stroke. But the mind does that. The brain does that. It commands your heart to beat and your lungs to pump. It does about four trillion things to your nearly 40 trillion cells, the human brain operating at its different levels. But of all the things, the amazing things the mind can do, it has one major limitation. The mind cannot always distinguish between what is real life and thought life. What do you mean? We've all awakened from a nightmare, and that thing was as real as anything. You wake up in a panic, in a sweat, your heart is beating, your adrenaline is flowing, you are in, is it flight or fight or freeze, or what do I do? Oh, it's just a dream, it's just a dream. And it takes a while for the mind to realize that. How could a young girl with anorexia who is down to nothing but bones and skin just hanging on the bones and look at herself and see herself as overweight? The mind has that limitation of Not always being able to distinguish between what's real life and thought life. How could a person created in the image of God, as his image bearer, see themselves of no worth at all when they were worth Christ coming from heaven and dying on the cross? Seeing themselves of not being loved, not being worthwhile, and yet Christ, like we heard this morning, switched places with them as he did with Barabbas and see themselves that way because in the mind we can hold beliefs we can hold them as utter absolute reality even though they're nothing but a fiction in our mind and so the scriptures speaks much about it many many things compete for your mind Advertisements, politicians, ideologies, social media, big pharma, family members, news outlets. We've all heard of the fake news phenomenon. All these kind of things uh, trying to insert themselves into your minds. Commercials with subliminal messages and all kind of things trying to move into your mind and rent out place to the space to their ten best friends. We pastors and Christian educators have so much competition. Parents, you have so much competition to get the hearts and the minds of your children. The Apostle Paul is aware of this. And when he comes to the closing section of the book of Philippians and he gets into exhortations, every one of them will deal with parts of the mind Certainly we can say this to begin before we even get to it. I think we all know 2 Timothy 3.16, for all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. For what? For doctrine, teaching, right thinking. 
for reproof, identifying wrong thinking, for correction, for taking the wrong thinking and turning it into right thinking, and for instruction in righteousness, teaching us how to translate right thinking into right action. So certainly being in the word, studying the word, looking for every opportunity to sit under the the teaching and the preaching of the word and to take it most seriously. But now we come to our passage and we will spend our remaining time there in Philippians chapter 4 verse 2. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the King James Version, to be of the same mind in the Lord. That old wives' tale, it's a myth that we only use 10% of our mind. It's not accurate. It's not true. But do you know the mind, the average human mind is only about 3.3 pounds. That certainly is not 20% or one-fifth of our body mass, certainly not mine. And yet, about 20% of our energy goes to the mental processes, goes to the brain, goes to the mind. Would you not agree with me that nothing saps energy like a good old conflict? Are you with me? Iodia, Syntyche, you two need to agree in the Lord. And the Apostle Paul is going to deal with that. Because what will take your focus off of Christ? What will take your focus off of the furtherance of the gospel? Nothing like a conflict. It can divide a church. It can break up a marriage. It can mess up a family. Conflicts when we get caught up and hung up. We don't know what the conflict was. It doesn't tell us in the scriptures. You know why? It's not important. And notice how the Apostle Paul, when he addresses them, he says, I entreat Iodia, I beseech Iodias, and I beseech or entreat Syntyche. The verb is used twice in both cases, both for emphasis and not to take a side with uh, with either one of them. And it's very strong language. I would say there's probably not a person in here, if we were honest about it, we have different temperaments. Some of you are just so sweet, I couldn't even imagine. But there's probably almost nobody in here who has never committed mental murder in their mind when they got so upset. Who gave all of their thinking energy. They weren't just using 10% of their brain power. They were having full-on arguments. When I get back home and I talk to him, I'm going to tell him. And when he says this, I'm going to say that. And they got 50,000 different possible things he might say in answer to what I say. And I'm going to win this argument. And it goes on and on and takes up all of this energy. And the Apostle Paul is going to address this and say... This has got to be settled. Evidently, it was of such concern that it reached Paul in prison, and he would call them out by name. You see, the church at Philippi had so much going for it. They were countercultural. The Apostle Paul had many positive things to say about them, but all that was in jeopardy. I don't know what they were arguing about. Is the carpet going to be burgundy or is it going to be beige? I don't know what the content, we're not told that. But we do know this, that the Apostle Paul addressed them in very strong language. In using this term where I entreat them. It's 
interesting. He's saying to them, the problem is not the problem. The problem is that you two aren't right with one another. That you're trying to be right instead of being right with the person. And ultimately to be right with God. If we are going to have the mind of Christ in the body of Christ, we are going to need to remember that the mind of Christ is he humbled himself unto the death, even the death of the cross, that he was obedient to the death of the cross, that he took on the form of a servant. It's going to take humility and service and obedience And so we need to say, I cannot give airtime. I cannot allow a conflict to overtake my thoughts. I cannot do it in my marriage. I cannot do it with that difficult child that I'm raising. I cannot do it in the church. I cannot allow that to happen in any setting. I must try to get that sorted out. See, the term that's used there, agree in the Lord, it's autos froneo. You two need to come to the point where you have the same attitude and set of thoughts. Don't miss this as well, those little words at the end, in the Lord and choreos. Do you see that at the end of verse 2? You'll see the same phrase in verse one, and you'll see it again in verse four. Thomas More, not the old Irish author, but who wrote the exegetical guide to Philippians, says, in the Lord denotes the sphere of the believer's existence, the result of having been incorporated into Christ. Believers are joined to and identified with Christ who rules over the kingdom to which they belong. If we are to have the mind of Christ in the body of Christ, we will need to humble ourselves to sacrificially serve others and to obey his commands in fighting and conflicts. May not have airtime. Just something that we would want to keep in mind or think right so that we do right. Number two, so number one, make the choice to resolve conflicts, not to allow them to take up airtime. I'm not saying ignore conflicts, but to resolve them in the Lord. It's not, was Iodius right or was Syntyche right? It's they both need to get right with one another and to get right with Christ. Number two, make the choice to restore collaboration. Uh, Look at verse three now. Yes, I ask you also, true companion. The word in the King James is closer to the Greek. It says true yoke fellow, sudzagos. It literally means that people who are yoked together. So you see that there. The word companion in that root would come from having bread with in the English. But when you follow the Greek etymology, it would be yoked together. So true companion. Who is that true companion? The scriptures don't tell us. Some say maybe it was Epaphroditus. Some say maybe it was Luke, because after chapter 16, the pronouns change in the book of Acts, etc. And some other, we just don't know. Conjecture isn't necessary. But there was someone Paul could 
speak of without saying the name that they all knew was a true yoke fellow, someone who was yoked together with him in the work. He says, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, and Clement also, and with all my other fellow laborers, three times this idea of people working together. Get your thinking right about the conflicts. And get right with God and get your thinking right. And get your thinking right. Make the choice to focus on the work that we do together. Because that's what we are. We are partners. We are co-laborers in the gospel. The church is not a social club. I mean, the modern American church is very consumeristic. People will go to this church if they get that out of this church. And if they don't like that, maybe they'll go to that church. And they go around church shopping to see, will the church fit every exact little thing they're looking for and do things their way? Or maybe it's time to shop for another church. You get in a family, you get born again, you get baptized, and then you get in a church family. And you find where you plug in and you get working together because we have to work for the night is coming. That's what Jesus said. I have to work while there is still time to work. We need to be laboring together. And if it's a drama to get the gospel out there and bring people in, if it's a Christian school ministry, if it's any one of all these different ministries that many of you are plugged into, get plugged in and work and don't allow conflicts or petty differences to get in the way. Remember who we are. Zig Ziglar has a famous illustration he uses about the Belgian horse where one of those Belgian horses can pull 8,000 pounds. But if you put two of them together and yoke them together, they don't just pull 16,000 pounds. Untrained, they will pull 24,000 pounds. Train them for a week to get in sync, and they'll pull 32,000 pounds four times their weight. And so after he identifies the conflict there and says, hey, you need to get your thinking right, he implores other people to get involved. So he not only calls the two out by name because that conflict is going on, he calls others out by name and says, you all can't walk on eggshells around this thing or ignore it or tiptoe around the issue. True yoke fellows, get them and go to them. And the language, once again, is very strong. It says ask in the ESV. It says entreat in the King James. And if you go into the Greek and study it, you find out that these words, it's very strong. He's saying go to them and summon them by your side. Seize them. Sulambano, I think it is. Seize them. Take hold as if they're a prisoner. So he's saying he himself, Paul, wants to parakaleo. He wants to, like the Holy Spirit, call them and summon them to his side. I entreat you and I entreat you. And then he says to them, go help them. Sulambano them. Seize them like you're taking a prisoner. Get a hold of them so they can get a hold of Christ. That's some stuff. That's changing a mindset We're far too polite in America. We don't want to step on people's toes or offend them. Many a church has given up the fiery kind of preaching that would step on toes because people don't want to be offended. We've got to get our mindset right on this. Let's see if we can get through a few more of these in the passages. You go into verse 4 now. Make the choice to rejoice. Amen? 
This is mindset. This is us saying, I will direct my thoughts. I will regulate my thoughts. I will control my thoughts. Don't miss that in chapter 3, verse 1, the Apostle Paul said, Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now he's coming back to it. He must have been a Baptist preacher, because right smack in the very middle of the book, finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And then all this time later, now he's coming back to it. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. He's coming back to this. It has to be a mindset. You can choose what you will think about. You can choose to rejoice. God's word will never command us or exhort us to do what we cannot do or that he will not do through us. And so for anyone to uh, say, but my circumstances, but this or but that, but how can I rejoice? How can I rejoice in this? How can I rejoice through a cancer diagnosis? How can I rejoice through a divorce? How can I rejoice through those things? And yet the word of God says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice in the Lord. There it is again. To rejoice in the Lord. That author I quoted from earlier, I would continue paraphrasing. He says, the fact that they are in the Lord, in Corios, provides the basis, the object, and the source of their rejoicing. The basis, because of what the Lord has done. The object, because of who he is. And the source, because even he supplies that for us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc. We have every reason and every resource to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice through whatever circumstances. There is no magnet like it. I don't want to be trite here, church. I know my time is winding up. I don't want to be trite about this. I want to make it clear. It's not easy. Neuroscientists say that the neurons will begin to travel over paths in our mind and there are patterns of thinking. Uh, In a separate study, we call them flesh patterns. Patterns of thinking that get grooved in our mind and sometimes they get deep and they're like highways and it's a pattern in a way we, we are thinking. But there's something called neuroplasticity, the ability of the mind to change even the deepest ingrained, grooved patterns of thinking and pathways that the neurons travel they can do it more than that he can do it the renewing of our mind we can learn to think differently but a lot of that will be us making choices us following principles us saying I will not be the one who's bickering and gossiping and backstabbing and complaining and murmuring and grumbling and I don't know I'm in this and that but I will choose to rejoice. I will exercise that. I will do it by faith when I can't do it by feeling. I will write it as well with my soul and even pen some of the very verses to it when I'm passing the spot where my children were drowned at that shipwreck at sea. Horatio Spafford, it is well with my soul. I will choose to praise him. I will choose to declare it is well with my soul no matter what I'm going through. Amen. And so when it comes, you say, I'm going to make the choice to rejoice. I'm going to have the mind of Christ who for the joy that was set before him, despising the shame. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Think about that when the next difficulty comes. 
<clears throat> well, we don't have time for the rest. Verse 4, make the choice to remain calm. Let your moderation, your reasonableness be known to all men. Friends, I hit the age where I don't need the drama. Amen? We need people who just don't want the drama. Would it be, wouldn't it be great if you were the one who's known in your family, in your church, in your tribe, in your setting, if you're the one who's known as the voice of reasonableness, as the voice of calm, when the conflict comes, you don't come with the gasoline tank. You come with the water of the word. And that people would know that, again, it's a mindset. The word epicase. Your moderation, graciousness, gentleness, reasonableness, fairness, mildness, patience. I'm going to make that choice because blessed are the peacemakers. Make the choice to remember Christ. We're in verse 5. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Go ahead and argue with all the commentators if that means he's spatially near us or if that's referring temporally near for the Lord's return. Both of those ought to be part of our mindset every single day in every single situation that confronts us. He is near. And his return is imminent. That's called the imminence and the imminence. One letter different. My God is imminent. He is near, though, even though he's transcendent. So whatever I go through, I know that he will never Leave me nor forsake me. He is imminent. He is near. He is very present. And his return is imminent. Nothing will shape your thinking like the thought every morning, today he may return. But we don't give a lot of airtime to it. A lot of the way we live is just going through life, reacting in the moment, watching this thing, passively allowing a lot of things, and not being intentional in our thoughts and with our thoughts. Well, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9 are just lovely. I have all this I would love to share about anxiety and the peace of God and the God of peace, but our time has come. Study that for yourself. Go to that Eighth verse, think on these things, things that are lovely and pure. That's my version of replacement theology. Right there, you take that verse and you replace that which is untrue with that which is true. That which is dishonorable with that which is honorable. The impure thoughts replace it with pure. Jane Merkley and I, joke with one another because we got saved later in life and we know all these worldly songs. It's embarrassing. I know more Beatles lyrics than I know scriptures. And every once in a while we'll tease a little bit and we'll throw out a little lyric and she'll know it right away. I can't do Beatles. She's too young for that. So I do some later ones. But I've developed a practice when a worldly song inserts itself into my head, I replace it with a hymn. Dennis, I have found myself out with a group of pastors at a restaurant and a song comes on the radio and without me knowing it, I'm singing along. Roxanne, you don't need to have, hallelujah. You know, I replace that. Mentally learning, practice that kind of replacement 
theology we can do. And I conclude, thank you for allowing me to take three extra minutes. I conclude, as the Apostle Paul does, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice. Do these things. Study the passage more for yourself. We didn't get nearly as deep as I wished we could have. Go through that passage and identify how each verse deals with your thought life. Get thinking correctly about this. Think this way. When you have anxieties and worries and cares, this is what you do with it. Let your request be made known to God, and this will be the result of it. Follow the passage that way. I would recommend looking at the book of Philippians through that lens. We in the body of Christ definitely need the mind of Christ. That will take a lot of choice making. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that though we never could come to control completely our thought life, you can. I thank you that when thoughts become obtrusive, oh, that by your spirit and by your word, they can be dismissed and we could think on things that are lovely and godly and that would please you and would position us in service to you. I pray as we dismiss tonight, let us have safe travels to our home or whatever our next destination is. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. You're dismissed.